And for those of you who haven't met me, I'm Pesh. I've been a part of the church family here for 11 years. Uh, and when I'm not working as a strategy consultant, or as I have been this last week, helping my sister with her wedding, uh, I, I help with the youth team uh, here at All Souls. And it's an absolute privilege to be able to open God's word with you and to be able to delve into what it has to say to us. But before we do any of that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it provides us with so many truths that help us to live our lives for you. Give us receptive ears and soft hearts to accept the truth of this passage tonight. In your name, amen. So a true Christian may be known by blank as well as by their blank. Thank you by indulging me, by filling in your responses there. And it's great to see some of the responses that came in, all of which were right. We saw love, joy, prayer life, deeds, actions. But actually what he wrote was a bit surprising. He said a true Christian may be known by their warfare as well as by their peace. Now peace, we might be able to understand that well enough. Inward peace from knowing that Jesus is Lord and that he loves us so much that he's guaranteed our salvation. Well, what about warfare? In this passage from Romans that we're looking at today, we have the same themes of warfare and peace. From, from, uh, if you have a look down at verse 30, we see struggling or fighting. If you look at verse 31, we see the need for safety. But also in verse 32, refreshment. And in verse 33, peace. In this passage, Paul is talking about the spiritual battle of ministry. The spiritual battle within the minister, as they align to God's will for them, and the spiritual battle within those being ministered to, as the gospel is preached and faces opposition from unbelievers or proud and stubborn hearts. It's not physical warfare, but spiritual, against the forces of evil, against the devil. It might not be something that we think about very much, but it is a very real battle. And in this passage in Romans, we'll see very clearly how we can draw and re- draw alongside and reinforce uh, ministers through our prayers. So let's get stuck into the passage and see what it has to say. The first point is that we have to pray urgently in this battle of ministry. Have a look down at verse 30. I urge you, my brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to uh, to join me in my struggle by praying for me. Paul's Paul's plea is right there at the start of the verse. I urge you, brothers and sisters, it's urgent. It's not a a British request. You know what I mean, polite and apologetic. If it wouldn't be too much trouble, it'd be great if you could possibly consider, provided you don't have anything on, praying for me. No, it's urgent. I urge you, brothers and sisters, particularly given that these Roman Christians are a thousand kilometers away from where Paul is, and Paul hasn't even been to Rome yet. And we too should feel that urgency to pray when we're asked to by our brothers and sisters. Now, of course, it's not just the staff or all souls who are involved in ministry, but each and every one of us. So we too should be urging our brothers and sisters to pray for us. As a younger Christian, I often struggled asking people to pray for me, partly down to pride, partly down to not wanting to be a burden on others. But let's all learn from Paul's example and ask away, not apologetically, but insistently and confidently. Paul then reminds the the Roman Christians that they have a strong motivation to pray. And it's all in those words that are very easy for us to skip over. By the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit. 
The fact that the Romans share the same Lord Jesus Christ and felt the same love of the Spirit as Paul means that they should pray for him. And the same is true for us and Christians around the world. The Lord Jesus Christ who calls us to pray. In Luke 18 it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. The Lord Jesus Christ who showed us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 verse 9, This then is how you should pray. The Lord Jesus Christ who modelled himself praying again and again in the Gospels. The Lord Jesus Christ who ultimately loves us so much that he died on the cross and whose love inspires us to live like him. And what about the Spirit, the love of the Spirit, who loves us by revealing where we've gone wrong and pointing us towards the Lord Jesus Christ? The love of the Spirit, which ultimately changes our hearts to to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and that overflows into loving others, prayer being one of the main ways that we can do that. The love of the Spirit, who transforms us to become more and more like Jesus, whose fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control from Galatians 5, all of which can be modelled by praying for others. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ and the love we've experienced by the Spirit is our motivation as Christians to pray for other people. And if you're investigating Christianity here today, I'd encourage you to ask someone here what Jesus and the love of the Spirit means to them. And then we see that it's urgent because it is vital support. Paul's command is that we should join him in his struggle. Now, that word struggle isn't how we often use it, in that we might struggle to wake up at the weekend. I know I struggled this morning. Or in that we might struggle to do enough exercise. But rather, it's one that conjures up images of striving or battling or fighting. This is the very spiritual warfare that I started talking about. And there are so many fronts on which to struggle. On which to struggle. Have a look at what it says in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those evil spiritual forces, which sometimes lead to direct opposition for Christians, but sometimes they act more subtly to distract people from the truth and the importance of the Christian message. And sometimes they even lead those who believe astray. It's an epic battle on an epic scale, and Paul is asking the Roman Christians to join him as he strives for the gospel. Have a look down at verse 30 again. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Not by giving him funds, not by marching alongside him, but by praying for him. And we too can join in the ministry of others by praying alongside them. And this is one of the most important things we can do alongside a a ministry, is to pray for it. We often think of prayer as a good thing, but more of a nice-to-have. When we get busy, it it takes a back seat, doesn't it? I know that's the case for me. But it's a vitally important part of our walk as Christians, because by praying for people, we're joining them in their ministry. So, So hopefully you're inspired to pray urgently for ministry. But what does Paul ask the Romans to pray for? There are three specific battlefields that Paul asks for prayer. And it's worth saying that these three areas are specific to Paul's situation. And there are many other important and vital areas that we can pray for ministry. But nonetheless, we can learn a lot from what Paul prays for and how he asks for those prayers. But before we dig into those areas, it's helpful to understand a bit of the context of, of where Paul is writing and where Paul is in his ministry. If you look back at verse 16 of chapter 15, we see that Paul's goal and mission 
is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, that is, the non-Jews. And more than that, his his ambition in verse 20 is to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. It's a great ambition, and it's one that we should look to as an example. But it doesn't end there. Paul has very specific plans for how he's going to achieve that. And I find it helpful to look at this on a map. You see, when he's writing this letter, he's on a journey from Macedonia and Achaia on the way to Jerusalem. Why? In verse 26, it tells us that he's there to give a gift from the non-Jews, the Gentiles, in those regions to the poor believers in Jerusalem. But ultimately, once he's done that, his next plan is to go to Rome, uh, stopping off on the way to going to Spain. As you can see on, a, on, on the map, that is an epic journey. And in an age before planes, trains and cars, it's such a long distance to go. And Paul isn't exactly taking a direct journey. He's going all the way to Jerusalem and, and all the way across back to Spain because that gift offering to the Jews is so important. But let's dig into his request in a bit more detail to see exactly what he's asking for, what that looks like in his context, and what that might look like for us in our context. The first request is for safety from unbelievers. Take a look at me, uh, with me at verse 31. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. These unbelievers in Judea are Jews who would say that they believe in God, but they don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord and King. They find the gospel message so threatening to their culture and their hierarchy that they want to kill Paul because he preaches Christ. And we know from the book of Acts that Paul faced violent opposition, opposition from the Jews because of it. He was stoned and left for dead in Acts chapter 14. How does that apply to us today? Well, those in ministry continue to face opposition, just as Jesus said they would. And there are numerous sources of opposition, and we should pray for safety in each context. Whether that's opposition from the culture at large, which has no room for God and is more focused on worldly ideals of money, power, or experiences. Whether that is uh, opposition from within the wider church, from those who don't hold firm to the teachings of the Bible, or reflects God's love how they should. And while it's important to pray for the issues at large in London and at All Souls, we should be quick to remember that many of our brothers and sisters overseas face much more significant opposition than we do. Whether that's Christians in North Korea who are sent to prison camps or shot on the spot for their beliefs, or Christians in northern Nigeria who are killed and kidnapped by Islamic militants. And we heard from Joe, didn't we, what what an amazing privilege it is to not feel powerless in those situations because we are praying to a God who is faithful. And I'd encourage you, no, I'd even urge you to look at Open Doors, which is a resource for how we can pray for persecuted Christians around the world. Paul's second prayer request is is that his ministry is well received. Have a look down at verse 31 as it continues. That the contribution I take to Judea will be favorably favorably received by the Lord's people there. Now that might seem like an odd prayer request at first. Surely if someone is in need and someone's going to bring them money and gifts, surely they'll be gratefully received. But Paul's concern here is that these gifts are coming from Gentiles. And there's a risk, that, that, given that they're from Gentiles, that the Christians in Jerusalem reject them out of pride. It would have been a massively countercultural thing for those Jewish Christians to accept a gift from Gentiles. 
if they went along with the culture and accepted the gift, uh, rejected the gift, that would have massive implications for the unity of the early church. How does that apply to us today? Well, in the same way, the prayer that the prayer for the Jewish Christians was that they would swallow their pride and accept the gifts of, of their brothers and sisters. Then today our prayer is that the ministry would be acceptable to those who are receiving it. That we wouldn't let pride get in the way of being taught or being instructed. That, be, that we would be willing to make sacrifices for the gospel. That we would stand for the gospel in spite of what the culture expects of us. And we also know that when people are converted, that often there have been people praying for them in the background. That was, that was certainly the case for me. There were loads of people who I barely knew praying for me as I was looking into the gospel. So let's keep praying that ministry would be well received. Thirdly, Paul is asking for prayer for refreshment to continue his ministry. Have a look at verse 32. So that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. But don't forget that word so at the start of verse 32. These three requests are tied together. Paul has asked for safety in Judea, for gifts to be gratefully received, so that he can be refreshed in the company of the Roman Christians. Why is this refreshment so important? Why is that the ultimate goal of his prayer request? Well, it's so that Paul can go about continuing fulfilling his ministry to the Gentiles and, and fulfill that ambition of verse 20, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. You see, Paul is specific in his requests about prayer, but he also sees expansion for, for where his ministry might go, and that's what he's asking for. There's a clear challenge for us in this, isn't there? Or at least there is for me. The question of are we being expansive enough in our prayers for ministry while keeping it sufficiently relevant to our situation? Now, of course, it's good to give over everything in prayer to the Lord, including the near term, as Paul does in this prayer. But he also has in mind the broad sweep of his ministry and where that's going. We often get bogged down in the day-to-day, in the mundane, so much so that we don't leave room for the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit to expand and take our ministries on. The great thing about Paul's prayer is that he does that in a way that is meaningful and relevant to him. Taking, for example, youth, where I'm involved, we're praying for the near term that God would raise up new leaders. And if you're interested, come and speak to me later. Uh, And that the young people would come back in September and be eager to grow closer to the Lord Jesus. And all those things are good to pray. But we pray these things with a bigger view in mind, that through our work, God may raise up a new generation of young, faithful disciples in London who will be lights for the gospel wherever they are and who in turn will win their friends and family for Christ. Practically, that's why we we here at All Souls have a prayer diary and have regular prayer, prayer gatherings so that we can pray specifically, but with vision for the various ministries that are happening here. If you haven't used these resources or haven't been to a prayer gathering, can I urge you to do so? There's another feature of verse 32 that I want to briefly touch on, and that's the short phrase, by God's will. Paul has absolute belief in God's ability to fulfill his grand ambition, but he also has the humility to know that it might not quite happen in the way that he's asked for it. We know with certainty God's general overarching will for his people will happen. We know with certainty that the Spirit will convict people of their sin and win them over for Christ. What we don't know is how God will do that 
specifically in each or every one of our lives. And nor did Paul. And in fact, if you look to the book of Acts, we see Paul's, Paul's prayer here isn't quite answered in the way that he would have imagined. On safety from unbelievers, in Acts 22, 23, and 24, we see that he was spared from lynching, flogging, and even a murder plot. plot. So in that sense, his prayer was answered. But all of this happened by him being arrested by the Romans, which is probably not what he expected. On gifts being favorably received, we don't hear specifically about gifts and acts, but we do hear that the brothers and sisters received him and, and his delegation gladly, which does imply that they were well received. And on being refreshed in Rome so that he can continue his ministry, well, we do know that Paul reached Rome, except it was in chains. And did he manage to get to Spain? We don't know. But we do know that while he was in Rome, he was preaching the gospel to the imperial guard and they got to know of the Lord Jesus. So in that sense, his ministry did expand. Paul's prayers, as good as they were, weren't answered in the way that he expected. And, and actually, I think that's a very, very good thing. Can you imagine what the world would be like if prayer was like some sort of magic trick that immediately conjured up anything we wanted? It'd go, go to our heads immediately, wouldn't it? And it would be a very scary world if that was the case. Again, there's a challenge to this, uh, to us in all of this. And I find what John Stott says on this verse really helpful, which is that the purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. The Lord's Prayer itself has the line, your will be done. And Paul also prays by God's will a couple of times in the book of Romans. Do you pray for God's will to be done in your prayers? We spend a lot of time talking about the struggle, the fight, and the battle of prayer. But we do this from a position of certain hope. Take a look with me uh, at verse 33. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. What a contrast to the struggling, battling, and fighting in prayer of verse 30. And yet it is an encouraging and important reminder that we strive and struggle in prayer from a place of ultimate security and peace. Whatever ministries we're praying for, and whether it's God's plan to answer us in the way that we thought, we are safe in the knowledge that we are saved, that we are loved by God, and that we are one day going to be restored to a new creation and that God will save many others in the same way. Let that give us strength, boldness, and encouragement in our prayer lives. So as I close, all that remains for me to do is to echo Paul's plea. So, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, motivated by the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, to join in the spiritual battle with your brothers and sisters in Christ in their ministries. And I urge you to urge others to pray for your ministries too. Pray for safety from unbelievers. Pray for ministry to be well received. And pray for refreshment to expand those ministries to the next level. The God of peace be with you all. Amen.